Well, good morning again. Now, I don't know if it's, uh, uh, there's something about navigating relationships that's always super interesting, and in today's world, it's even more difficult than ever, uh, because we have this awkward moment, have have you noticed, okay, when we greet other people, um, we have a tendency to put out our hand, correct? I mean, that's just, just built into our culture, and so you have that awkward moment as you're walking up to somebody, and you're trying to figure out, if I put my hand out, will they return it? Because sometimes they put out the fist at the same time you do this. So you grab a hold of their fist. It's really awkward when you do that. That's like a crazy moment. Some people do the elbow, you know, and then some people just go in for the hug. And you're just trying to figure out what is this. So relationships are more confusing than ever. So we just embrace that confusion and that craziness. It's okay, right? Uh, God's going to be with us even in the middle of all of this. Um, I remember as a kid going for a swim in the public school, uh, public, public school, <laughs> in the public pool in Houston, Texas. We used to live there uh, back in the 70s. And uh, so we would go to this public pool from time to time with friends, and we would spend hours at this pool. And if you've ever lived in uh, Houston, uh, going for a dip in the pool is basically the same as walking around out in the air uh, there in Houston. It's called humidity. It's terrible down there. Um, and, but th- there was this hierarchy of swimmers. Uh, and I still remember it to this day. I mean, I'm, I'm probably seven or eight years old, nine years old. And there's this hierarchy of swimmers. And maybe you know what I'm talking about uh, when, it comes, when it comes to this. Uh, you have the timid swimmers. Those who uh, stayed close to the steps, right? They would just kind of be there. They weren't confident in their swimming. So they would stay r- right there close to the steps. Uh, you had the fakers. Uh, they went a little bit further out. But what you notice they did was they would, they would go along the edge of the pool, and then they would be right by the, um, by the stairs near the deep end that, are, that go out there because they were the fakers. They pretended like they, they enjoyed the deep end, but they were scared to death of it, but they didn't want their friends to know, so they would hang out right there by the ladder. Who was that? Because I was right there. There is no doubt I was, uh, I was right there. Uh, let's see here. You had the brave. They had no problem going out because at the pool it had a floating line. It was like, you know, one side is safe, the other side is death. I mean, that was kind of the way that it felt like. So you had the floating lines. You had the, those that were the brave that would go to the floating line, and they would go over it. They would go under it. Ah, and then you had the courageous few, those who went to the deep end and enjoyed it. How many of you enjoyed the deep end growing up? Man, look at all of you. That is amazing, because that was not me for a long time. There is no doubt. And then you had the totally nuts people. They would go to the high dive like the, uh, the platform, not, not like the springy one, but the platform one, like the, you know, the 20-footer or something like that, and they would stand right on the edge of that thing, and then they would just gently fall off and do a beautiful dive or an ugly dive, whatever it was. They were the to- I mean, totally nuts people, because that was not me at all. Um, I was never that last group. I would make forays to the deep end and hide the fact that I was more like that faker. There's no doubt that that's where I was uh, growing up. The deep end can be a scary spot if you're not prepared for it. Uh, The deep end. Have you ever swam in the open ocean? How many of you are scared to swim in the open ocean? It is a little bit freaky knowing you've got, you know, thousands of feet of water beneath you and a shark that is just right there ready to to eat you. So... uh, so for the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the practical side of, uh, of everything that Paul has been revealing to the Galatian church. And uh, we know that our lives reveal something of our relationship of God, right? When we talked about the fruit of the Spirit last week, thank you, Pastor John, uh, for bringing the message uh, this past weekend. And um, so last week in particular, we get to the nitty-gritty of a life uh, of the believer, contrasting the life controlled by sin 
and then the life that has the fruit of the Spirit in activity and action within our lives. And uh, we should put to death the old way of life, the old us. That, that theme actually is what we're going to end with uh, in the book of Galatians here in a couple of weeks. So Paul takes some further steps here in, uh, in Galatians uh, chapter 6 to um, help us think through scenarios as a believer so that we are ready to handle the things that come our way. Are, are you the kind of person that uh, kind of preforms what could possibly happen before it happens so that you know how you're going to handle uh, maybe a stressful situation or something like that, right? And so Paul is giving us some uh, scenarios by which we can live. So how does Jesus live through us when everything is not right? So Paul makes it personal here, and he's going to challenge us um, to have God be more revealed in our lives and how we handle these scenarios. So Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses, uh, we're going to go through 1 through 5, but hit 1 and 2 in particular uh, this morning. So it says this, brothers or sisters, suppose someone is caught doing something wrong. Suppose someone is caught doing, real quick, have you ever been caught doing something wrong? I, it's happened to me once, and um, well, just right then, that's the second time, right then. Um, so uh, years ago, and I know I've shared, shared this, I, or I believe I've shared this before, but it's still, I don't know, I was just uh, visiting my mom. My, my stepdad passed away about two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, and uh, so we were up last week. That's where I was uh, last week up in Montana uh, with my mom and the rest of the family, that's, uh, the step family that's up there. And uh, it, was, it was interesting, so, celebrating a lot. He was 84 years old. And one of the things that uh, really was beautiful about his life uh, was the fact that uh, at the age of 84, he never stopped learning. Uh, after he retired, he was air traffic control. After he retired, uh, he took up uh, ski instructing. After ski instructing, he got a little bit too old. To, they were the old, the, my mom and, and him were the old ones on the mountainside. And uh, they, they kind of gave that up. He learned woodworking and uh, fly tying and all these other things. He was always, always learning. It was super challenging. Um, but when I was up with my mom, it reminded me of, of this story again. Uh, I didn't like to go to school that much my senior year when I went to Brighton. And so I would find excuses to be sick. And uh, so one morning woke up and, and I was sick. I mean, really sick. And uh, went so far as to drink hot water, took the temperature. I mean, it was just, it was one temperature was like way off the scale. And my mom said, oh, you better just stay home. I'm like, oh yeah, mom, I'll just stay home. It's going to be a oh, rough day. So she leaves for work. She's a dental hygienist. And uh, so she leaves for work. And uh, I promptly, as soon as she leaves, garage door uh, closes, uh, race out to my car, drive over to my friend's house, and this is winter time, and so we go up skiing all day long. I mean, just a wonderful day of skiing up at Brighton, and uh, it was just beautiful, I mean, you know, and got away with it, so excited, get home, take the last bus down uh, from, uh, from Brighton, make my way home, and get there maybe about, I don't know, half an hour before my mom, uh, my mom arrives. Back in the same position, laying down there on the couch, looking sick. My mom, you know, the garage door opens up. My mom comes in. It takes a little longer than normal uh, to come in. I'm not, you know, not thinking about it. And so she walks in and, hey, honey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, you know, just, just kind of laying here, mom. It's been a rough day. And now my face is like windburned from the thing. She goes, wow, you look flushed. Yeah, fever's still coming and going and, and all that. And, and she just kind of looks at me and sits next to me and kind of pats me as I'm laying there. And she said, why is there snow on your skis? <laughs> Very cold day. The snow didn't make it off the skis, and uh, I was caught. 
And uh, yeah, so that was a beautiful moment of being caught red-handed and red-faced, uh, <laughs> trying to get away with something. Anybody ever experienced something like that? A parent catch you when you shouldn't have done something? Uh, I'm going to bring the microphone around and we will share. No, we won't do that. Um, <laughs> In the case of what Paul is speaking about here in just a moment, uh, it's a little more serious. So it says, suppose someone is caught doing something wrong. Um, this word here, this, the way that this is phrased, uh, there are some versions of the Bible, and if you've got it pulled up on your smartphone, uh, this is out of the CJB, the Complete Jewish Bible. I like the way some of it's worded for this passage. Uh, but if you look at other versions, it, it will say something like, uh, someone who is detected in sin. Someone who is caught uh, doing, uh, doing sin or whatever. So there's this idea here, though, that Paul is, um, is referring back to something that he wrote about much earlier, talking about Peter. When Peter was uh, walking in such a way as making it difficult for people to follow him. That's kind of what's talked about here, and that's why Paul, in the way that it's worded, it's the, the word sin uh, in there is an interpretation of some of the words uh, that are put down there, uh, but, but that word, sin there, also means that you have strayed from the way you should walk. And so Paul is, is bringing this back to, kind of coming full circle here, referring back to the things that Peter was doing wrong who was caught, referring back to the things that the Judaizers were trying to get believers to do, that they were walking in a way that made it confusing for people to follow them. And so this is what Paul is speaking about. Suppose someone is caught doing something wrong. So you are walking in such a way as to make it difficult to follow to Jesus. Because he's talking about believers who sin. He's not talking about people in the world who sin. He's talking about believers that sin. Uh, he goes on to say this, you who have the spirit should set him or her right. Some of you are like, yes, <laughs> I will set them right, just like a parent to their child. <laughs> but it says, but in a spirit of humility, keeping an eye on yourselves so that you won't be tempted as well or tempted too. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. In this way, you will be fulfilling the Torah's true meaning, which the Messiah upholds, or other versions say, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Um, if a fellow believer is overtaken and entrapped by sin, uh, in this, this phrasing that is there, it's not necessarily talking about a, a willful sin, a habitual sin. It's someone who's caught off guard by a decision that they're making or they're caught off guard by a circumstance and they don't respond to it the way that they know they should respond to it, the stress, get, whatever it is in that moment when they stumble and they begin to fall in sin. If a fellow believer is overtaken and trapped by sin, others are to bring that person to a state of restoration back into or back in step with the Spirit, as we've already heard. Such moral lapses will occur, but these moral lapses must never be allowed to compromise the life in the Spirit of a fellow believer. And so we're instructed by Paul to come alongside of those who have stumbled. Um, there are a few things that are assumed in how Paul is handling this that I think are really important to bring to light because otherwise uh, we might miss, I think, some important keys here. 
Uh, the very first one that Paul assumes in all of this is that there's relationship among the believers, or there's this, this idea of relationship between the people and the church. If you don't know others, your stumble will turn into a fall. If you're not surrounded by others and you are isolated, your stumble will turn into a fall. I guarantee it. It's hard enough as it is when you're in relationship with other people and you are being held accountable for the way that you live your life. And, and it's still difficult, but if you are isolated, your stumble will turn into a fall. It happens time and time again. Isolation is a breeding ground for temptation. And I think that in our world today, especially when there's been this, this uh, prolonged season of isolation uh, in so many ways, and that isolation shows up that we're not as as uh, quick to put our hand out to say hello to people and to welcome them. We, we, we view other people at times with suspicion. You hear a cough on the other side of Smith's and you freak out, <laughs> right? You're one of that person just spread coronavirus 30 feet from them and I'm, you know, you have all those things that happen. And we long to be isolated, but isolation breeds temptation. So folks, let's get real for a moment. A little bit uncomfortable perhaps. Um, we all stumble. All right, uh, raise your hand really quickly and online as well. Uh, if you have not stumbled in the last month, raise your hand <laughs> in one way, shape, or form. Have not stumbled, right? So we all stumble. We all sin. As the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? We will make decisions that we regret. We will say things that hurt others in a moment of frustration. We will do things that are against our character and not even think about it in the moment. And we'll look back and go, why did I do that? Have you ever experienced that before? <laughs> we, we all sin. We all struggle with it. It's, it's part of this human nature that is us. So the question is, do we have relationships that help us recover? Now, if you are married, um, that should be that first relationship that helps you recover. I do know that there are those for whom the spouse is unbelieving. Um, I do recognize those challenges that are there, but in a uh, I'd say in a perfect world, right, the spouse should be the one who is most often there right by your side if you are married. Otherwise, there are those really close friends that we have that we sh or that we should have that are around us so that when we stumble, they have, they're in relationship with us, with us so they recognize that we made a decision out of character. So that they recognize that uh, what we have done is something that we know we shouldn't do. And somehow that sin kind of snuck in, that temptation began to overtake us, and we responded in a way that doesn't bring glory to God. So too often, especially in the church, though, we isolate ourselves through the lack of transparency and accountability. Because we walk into this building, or we tune in online, and, and we, we, for some reason, we get this 
the sense that I've got to have it all together and not tell anyone the struggle that I had this week that has just worn me down day after day after day and I can't get it out of my head. We think when I walk through the doors of this church, I've got to have it all together, so I put that fake smile on. I put that fake you know, uh, chest held up high a little bit and the, the, the fake kind of bounce in my step when on the inside I am eaten up by something that I've done this past week. We're really good at this in the church. And this is why Paul uh, assumes relationship. We need each other. I don't know if you realize that, but we desperately need each other. We need to be in relationship with one another. An independent American Christianity has told a narrative that's against what is seen here because the independent uh, Christian, uh, American Christian narrative says, I've got this on my own. I don't need to tell others about the struggle that I'm in because I've got this, me and God. Paul says we should gather around those who've stumbled, we who are filled with the Spirit, and we should restore them. Um, putting yourself in a position of trust with others is difficult, but absolutely key to your spiritual health. And uh, allow me just a moment to give a shameless plug uh, for our life groups. Because our life groups, everybody shares everything at every... No, not really. Um, in life groups, we have an opportunity to begin to develop relationships. But it's not easy. We, we know that. It's not like you walk into life groups and all of a sudden everything is perfect. But I want to encourage you, we'll be launching life groups on October 18th. And uh, as a start of our new series uh, in the fall. Um, and uh, with that, this is where you need to be. Um, in the world around us, when churches haven't been able to meet in the large gathering, it's been the life groups or the small groups, wherever they are, that's been the lifeblood for churches to survive. We relaunched our life groups early in May, and the life groups have been running all this time. And those who are involved in life groups, I believe, um, are probably just a bit stronger in this season relationally uh, because they've been able to walk, uh, take their life and walk side by side with some folks. There's something really powerful about that. So as we begin signups and things like that coming in a couple of weeks, make sure you get connected uh, to our life groups. This is exactly where God wants us to be uh, in order for us to have a fruitful spiritual life. So Paul's assuming relationships between people in the church when the stumble happens, and we know the stumble's going to happen. The second thing that Paul uh, makes an assumption of in here is that the fruit of the Spirit is present. Remember, he just walked through the fruit of the Spirit, just said, hey, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these are in action within your life. This is what's happening. Oh, and by the way, should someone among you stumble... Should someone among you get caught up in sin? You who are spiritual, you should restore them. And how does he say to restore them? He says, you should restore them in humility. Other versions say you should restore them in gentleness, which is the exact fruit of the Spirit. So he's saying, this is where gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in your life. If the fruit are not in action, then the implication that is that the restoration will not take place. Because those who have stumbled have no place to fall <laughs> other than away from relationship with God. So we must be around those. Um, 
Now, I've been around the church for long enough to recognize we've not always handled this in the best possible way. Uh, and some of you have probably experienced, and I know that there are, I mean, I've talked with, uh, with several of you um, about the experiences you've had in churches where you have stumbled and what you have felt like instead of a gentle restoration is a gut punch or something like that that says, ah, oh, boy, you know what? You haven't measured up, so you're not welcome. You ever experienced that before in church? <laughs> uh, that's not what Paul is talking about. Now, there is accountability, and there, there, there is a difficulty, right? Because you break relationship, and so it's awkward, and it's tough when sin happens, and, and that's not what Paul's talking about. There is, there's very real fallout from committing sin. But the church, the people of God, should be there to gently restore you back into relationship with God and with one another. That's our responsibility as the church. At times, as Paul has said, to act in gentleness and humility towards a stumbling believer, that was not evident in the church. Um, well, then he goes on here, and this is just something that I, that I read. Rather than celebrating their own moral excellence compared to those who have fallen into sin, believers must aid those who struggle with sinfulness Joining together to restore one who has sinned or to prevent others from being caught in sin is the, in the first place is a way that believers may serve one another in love. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And once again, love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So we see the fruit of the Spirit in action. This is the practical way that we live this out. So at times, our first reaction may, may be to pointing out the sin. Hey, brother, sister. Look at what you did, and then to remind them of the sin that they did, and then to put it on the prayer chain or the gossip network, whatever it is, right, and then to begin praying for, and we have all of these weird things that we do from time to time in the church, thinking it's the right thing to do when Paul's saying, gently, in humility, restore the brother or sister back into relationship. You remember a number of weeks ago, we talked about conflicts, and if you remember, hopefully, the, the two things in conflict, restoration of relationship and then restoration of unity. This is what is happening when we gently restore those who have stumbled and fallen. We restore them to relationship, restore them to unity, again, within the body of Christ. Um, so what did Jesus picture for us in situations like this? Uh, what did he do with the one sheep that had wandered away? He found that one sheep. It doesn't say necessarily, the, the shepherd, I don't think in that moment, berated the sheep, right? But he picked up the sheet, sheet, <laughs> picks up the sheep, uh, brings the sheep back into the fold, and there's a celebration. This should be what we do as the church. The father runs to the son who stumbled. Jesus took extra time to gently restore Peter, who had betrayed Christ, had denied him three times. Jesus comes alongside of him and gently restores him and gives him a hope and a future. Now, it's not to deny that the choices actually happened, not to sweep under the carpet the sin that was done, but there was a gentle restoration that happened. Um. The people who fall and, or people who stumble and fall, and I don't, maybe this is just me, maybe I'm the only one that experiences this, uh, 
we beat ourselves up already. Right? There's enough of that going around in your brain, in your heart, in your spirit. There's enough of that happening. Why do we in the church jump on board and continue that external beating then? Folks, the Bible says we should gently restore those who have stumbled. A word about human nature really quickly. Sin is enticing, and Paul recognizes this, and so he warns us. Watch out so that you don't stumble yourselves into the same sin. Watch out so that the temptation does not overtake you when you are in this process of restoring those back into relationship who have stumbled. Watch yourself. What does this look like? Watch yourself at work as you become the listening ear for someone in trouble in their own marriage. And you become that emotional comfort for them. Watch out. The temptation doesn't overtake you. And it might be well-meaning at the beginning, but there's something brewing in there Watch out, the temptation doesn't overtake you. Watch it when it'd be easy to pick up their offense and to find justification for their sin. And to go, oh, you know what? The, the way you respond to that's okay because X, Y, Z, and I'm with you on this, and pretty soon you've got a camp that you're building rather than gently restoring someone to Christ. Temptation is real. We face it every day. And this is why we must have relationships that are trustworthy so that we can share our struggles, we can share our sins, we can share where we're falling, and they can come alongside of us and gently restore us. And all this, by the way, uh, the word you, you who are spiritual, Paul says at the beginning of uh, Galatians 5, verse 1, he says, you who are spiritual, that word is plural. It's not just pointing at one person, but it's referring to the body of Christ. If any of us See, anyone stumbling among us in the body of Christ, we, all of us, should work to restore them to relationship again. And then number three, uh, Paul, Paul's assumption here is this commitment to the deep end. And this deep end is uh, something that we have a tendency to avoid, and this is it right here, uh, to bear one another's burdens. When it would be easier to kind of push off those burdens and just kind of uh, say, yeah, it's all good, to bear one another's burdens means to walk alongside through the turmoil, through the outcome of the sin that they've chosen, whatever that is, is to bear one another's burdens. So this is where we carry the weight of the sin that's been committed and the resolution to those circumstances. Now, we ourselves, by the way, we don't carry the sin and the atonement for the sin, right? That happened on the cross. Right? We, have, we have nothing to do with that side of it, but what we do is we carry those burdens, right? the, the outflow of those sinful lives at times, we come alongside folks and we walk with them to bring them to restoration. We don't just say, hey, it's going to be fine, go do this on your own. We walk with them. Um, it's helping marriages by checking in on a regular basis. You know there's a struggle right now in a marriage. Why not give, give a call to the spouse to which you're, you're closest to and say, hey, how are things going? No, no, really, how are things going right now with you guys? I know there was trouble. You confided in me. How are things going? Back a number of years ago, um, I'd received a call for a kind of an emergency counseling situation. This is in uh, Calvary. And uh, um, a young couple, I think at that point they had one, uh, one daughter, 
Uh, but this young couple, was they, they were walking through an affair that she had had with, um, with her boss. And I sat across from them at a kitchen table in their, uh, her mother's home, talking with them about what it means to restore this broken relationship. And at the time, it seemed futile and hopeless. I mean, there, the, the, there were words spoken across that table. Uh, there was heartache. There were tears. There was anger. There was all of this stuff happening. Perhaps some of you have been there. And so I sat across from them, and all that I could do in that moment is to invite them into my life. That was it. And begin talking with them, spending time with them. Invited, I was, my wife and I were, uh, were doing a marriage class, so invited them to sit at our table. And uh, so they became part of our table there and uh, invited them to be part of the young adults group that we were leading at the time. And they became a part of that. And what we saw over time was this relationship that was totally broken. No way forward. What we saw was that step by step, painfully slowly, that God restored them to one another, restored them in relationship to the church, and uh, they eventually, and still are to this day, leaders in, uh, in ministry at Calvary Church. This is what it takes is to walk alongside folks in relationship. And that's a commitment to the deep end. Uh, did I have sleepless nights? Yes. Thinking about God, are you going to restore? God, are you going to be able to help him forgive? God, are you going to be able to help her forgive herself? God, are you going to be, is it going to happen and all that? And, and uh, long nights with them and on the phone and talking. And man, it was a beautiful, lovely, difficult mess to work through. And God was faithful in the middle of it. When we do this, when we carry these burdens, this is when Jesus comes alongside of us. And what does he say? He says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. So folks, when we come alongside people, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. When we restore relationship back to Christ and back to one another, we fulfill the law of Christ. When we are bearing the burdens of those who have fallen around us, we fulfill the law of Christ. He is right there with us. And in all of this, Paul says we should do this with humility, with gentleness. By the way, humility and gentleness is not weakness. It's not holding to high standards or high accountability. That's, that's not that, but gentleness <laughs> right, is not to lord it over someone, but the gentleness is to lead them back into that relationship with God. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this about humility, and this is, I think, great for us. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, <laughs> right? And so when we're restoring people, uh, we do this with humility, and we put others above ourselves, we do this, when we focus on the other, focus on restoration and unity, then we can be proud of our actions. That's a good spiritual pride. 
going to restore people to faith. We restore people to relationship. I believe that it's a good thing when it wells up within us and say, God, this is a good thing. And God rejoices with us. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out. So what are we to do with all of this? Number one, if uh, we are the ones who stumble, if you are currently in a situation in your life where you have stumbled, where you have strayed from the path, where you have sinned, um, receive correction and be restored. That's the responsibility of the one who has stumbled and sinned, is to receive correction and be restored. If you're not in relationship with people within the body of Christ, then, the, then I urge you, you need to be in relationship. You need to be in life group. You need to find somebody even today. If you're in a position, you came in here, it's your very, very first time that you are here uh, physically at Life Church, and you know you're in a position, find somebody to talk to today. Find one of our ushers. Find somebody else who looks like, uh, looks like they're friendly. <laughs> it's hard to tell with a mask on, but everybody's friendly at Life Church. Find them. Let them pray for you to begin that restoration. So that's the first thing. Number two, if you are the ones who see the stumble, so if you're in relationship with someone and you see them stumble, you see them acting out of character, you see them uh, not following through on what they know is right, restore them with gentleness and humility. Invite them back in. Invite to, in, invite to pray with them. <laughs> to say, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to bear this burden with you as we seek restoration, as we're going to bring uh, a resolution to this so that you can be stronger than before you fell. And as a church, we're committed to walk with those who are hurting as a church body. So every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Uh, the first one, you know you've stumbled and fallen. You know that there's sin in your life and you know you need correction and you know you need relationship. If that's you, um, man, in this, this moment of transparency, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. There's nothing wrong with that, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen, right? And so if you've raised your hand, you recognize right now just by this admission that you need to seek out some people that are going to come alongside of you to walk with you in this season where you can be truthful with them, honest with where the stumble happened, honest with where the sin is. And I believe that as you are honest like that, to confess our sins one to another, the Bible says, uh, that it says he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins. And when we walk with others, we'll be restored. You can put your hands down. Now, secondly... Maybe you are in a position where you have seen somebody stumble. You've seen somebody sin, but you have said nothing. You've done nothing to restore them. And maybe you've even gloated over their sin. And in a weird sort of way, you've been glad that they sinned and it wasn't you. But you realize that that's not what Paul has been talking about. That you need to turn that towards humility and to restore this brother or sister. If that's you, and you'd say, boy, I know there's somebody that I need to, need to begin to walk alongside of and restore. If that's you, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Many other hands. So Father God, you've seen all these hands that have been raised for one reason or another. God, help us to be a people who are quick to seek accountability. That God, we would live our lives in such a way as that we are transparent with those that we trust and are close to. So help us, God, for those who have fallen into sin, Lord, help us to be restored back to relationship with you. God, help us to be able to have those relationships with the, with the body of Christ that, uh, that we can confess and be restored. 
And Father God, on the flip side of that, Lord, if we have seen others around us that have sinned and stumbled, God, help us with gentleness, restore them. Help us, God, with humility, also guarding ourselves against the temptation to sin ourselves. God, we would restore those who have broken their covenant with you, who have stepped away from relationship with you. God, they might not even be in this church building today. They might not even be part of faith right now, but they have stepped away a long time ago. And God, you've placed them on our hearts right now. And God, we are going to this week reach out to them and begin this process of restoration. And Father, I thank you that when we do this, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. When we do this, we are bringing honor and, and we are pleasing you. God, when we do this, we know that you are, you are walking alongside of us, bearing these burdens with us as we restore relationship and bring unity to the body of Christ. Lord, we love you. God, we praise you this day and I ask for your blessing upon your people. Help us to walk confidently with the knowledge that you are with us and that, uh, God, you are the one who has uh, washed away all of our sins. Lord, let your spirit empower us that we would live confidently in you and, uh, Lord, uh, let your face shine upon us. Lord, we love you this day. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being with us next week. Uh, we've got actually two more weeks in our series. And next week, we are going to take a little bit of time on Sunday uh, talking through some of the election stuff and uh, just kind of figuring out how to process all of this before the absentee ballots are on our, uh, in our uh, mailboxes on, I think, of the week of October 11th. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.